King of Kings, Lord of Lords, ascended but coming back, hallelujah, bless the name of Jesus, I, I'm not doing this, I'm just not going to do it, if y'all aren't going to help any better than that, I ain't doing it, hallelujah, <laughs> praise the Lord, King of Kings, soon coming Redeemer. All right, I'll preach to you, Chris. You a little bit, Matt. Um, we're in the book of Timothy. And um, I mentioned this last week, and it's more true this week than it was last week. Um, our time together on Saturday night serves a lot of different purposes, but primarily it is for us to be equipped to do the work. Now, some churches, especially Sunday morning churches, a big part of what they're hoping to do is encourage people who haven't read their Bible through the week, uh, strengthen the downtrodden, and get people saved. Now, we don't do that that much on Saturday night because we have a thing called home fellowships where... Uh, we have all equipped ourselves to do that continually throughout the week. And so our purpose when we come here is to be equipped to better do that six days a week. Rather than thinking, well, i got to take this guy to church to get him prayed for. And so we are praying for people, sharing the gospel, um, raising the dead, uh, that kind of stuff all week long. Uh, and so tonight, it, it, it's very much an equipping meeting. It is a calling us to a specific work. It's kind of like when you may decide to build a new house or somebody's going to build a new building and everybody comes around and they look at the, the blueprints. Uh, the architect's done a great job and the whole team's there and they look at it and they say, yeah, wow, that, that's great. We, we can do that. Uh, and then they all leave. Nothing has really been done. They've just seen what they need to do. But then they go out and they begin to do it. Right, Josh? Foundations. Walls. Roofs. Then all of a sudden, they've been doing something. So tonight's a blueprint. And it's a call for us all to do something. And basically, it's going to boil down to this. One of you, one of you needs to step up and say, I will plant the next church. You don't have to do it tonight. Uh, but that's the end result of this blueprint. And so we are going to build on that until this happens. Does that make sense? That's why I ask everybody to be here tonight. I hope the guy that's supposed to do it didn't decide to stay home and watch football. All right? So, here we go. What we are doing here tonight, this, began as a group of students seeking God for how he would have us live in community. During those years in America, the 60s, the 70s, Everybody was trying to figure out what church was supposed to look like. Um, the, the, the young people had dropped out of church because it had 
for some reason, grown, grown cold and stale. And they were beginning to see that church was not a thing you do on Sunday, but it was a people who lived together. There was this ministry called Tag Ministries, Take and Give, up in D.C., a guy named Larry Tomsack and C.J. Mahaney. And uh, they began to, to exegete the Bible in the area of ecclesiology to understand how church should look. How, 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 how should you really do church? Uh, there was a group up in Chicago, uh, Jesus People USA. They brought, I think they bought this building that, that covered a whole city block, and they all moved in there uh, because of some of the things that they had studied. A guy named Jim Durkin out in California, he had what they called the ranch, and he just a bunch of kids came out there, and they began to live together in community like they believed the Bible taught they should. Uh, they eventually left and went down to Guatemala and then Nicaragua and Ecuador and planted churches. And so what we're doing here tonight is a result of students who said, how in the world should, should the church manifest itself in the time that we live? Now, one of the things that we discovered was this that if you get over about 150 people, you can't really walk in community. You can't really know each other. And so we decided that when, if, when and if we ever got to that size, we would, uh, we would plant another church. And lo and behold, in the 80s, uh, a movement got started that was called the Church Growth Movement. And one of the things that they shared that was so revolutionary was this. the most effective size church is 150. Now, they spent thousands of dollars to do research all over America to figure that out, but we had intuited it 10 years earlier. And so we continued to build, and, and I, I, in those early years, we weren't, um, we, weren't, um, we weren't growing by leaps and bounds. Let's just say that. But after 26 years... Of functioning as a church, we reached that number. That's when our first elder, what's his name? James P. Leitch, and our first pastor, what's his name? Chad Grissom. We sent them out with a team, and they planted a church. Now, that church, I think, is a little bit larger than we are, and they're thinking about how they can plant a church. But lo and behold, God blessed us, and we grew to the size that we needed to plant, and guess what? God gave us another pastor. What's his name? Ben Hughes. And in the year 2012, just, uh, I think, 12 years, instead of 26 years, 12 years later, we were able to, uh, is that right? Huh? What, 2012? When was it? 2018. Yeah, in 2018, right. Uh, that's what it says on their uh, uh, webpage, 2018. And now it's five years later, and they have more than doubled. But what's exciting is we are larger today at LCF than we were before we sent Ben out. And what's even more exciting is we got something better than Ben. We got Ben's dad. 
<laughs> God had pity on you all, uh, losing Ben, and, uh, and gave us Bill and Teresa. And so here we are. We, we are at the place that we begin to th- need to begin to think, how, how is this going to happen? How are we going to, to, how do we find the guy? And so I thought, you know, we're in the book of Timothy, and um, Timothy was one of Paul's guys. How did that happen? Is there anything that we can learn from what happened in Timothy becoming part of the church planting team that will help us in these next few weeks, months, as we, we try to, to, to come to a, a clarity of how we're going to take this next step. How many of you all would like to see us plant another church? Would you raise your hand? We're going to. Hallelujah. God is with us. God has blessed us. Every single time we've sent 40 people out, within a year they've been replaced. And so if we'd like to see 40 new people here, we need to kick 40 of us out. Um, and so I'm excited. Um, it's a good time. And um, I, I listed all the people that are here now that weren't here. And there's about 35 or 40 people, not counting kids, uh, that weren't here when Ben left. So we're large enough to plant, praise the Lord. And, uh, and so we're going to look at... Uh, at Timothy and how he got called. That's in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. And so we're going to look at it, and we're going to see if there's anything we can glean from here that will help us move ahead. All right. So we're going to jump into Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read it in a minute, but before I do, let me, let me bring you up to it. Paul had three primary missionary journeys, and then he went to Rome and may have done a journey after that. But chapter 16 is right at the beginning of his second missionary journey. He's gone on his first missionary journey. He's come back to Jerusalem, and now he's just left and come to his first couple of cities in chapter 16. All right? Let me share a few things on, out of chapter 14 and 15, and then we'll read where Timothy gets picked up. Okay, you with me? All right, so the first thing, a few chapters earlier, chapter 14, a couple of chapters, Paul is in a place called Lystra. Why is that significant? Why would I want to go back and see when he was in Lystra? Because he's going to come back to Lystra. And he's going to call Timothy to follow him. What happened in Lystra the first time Paul was there? Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Why is that significant? Why is it nice to know that Paul has already been here, and the last time he came, he got stoned to death. Well, no, he came back after he was... He, 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 he came back to life and went back in and continued to minister that first time. Here's why I think it's important. Because he's going to go to the very same place, and he's going to look at a young guy, and he's, he, he's going to say, 
how would you like to join me? <laughs> so I think it's significant that, that what people knew about Paul was, man, the guy brought trouble to town with him from other cities, and he got beat to death. All right? The next thing that's important is, so he finishes that journey, and he gets to, um, I believe it's, um, I, I can't remember if it's Antioch or Jerusalem. He goes down to Jerusalem and then back to Antioch, but he talks to the, the, the apostles after this first time through. Now, the scripture that he has is the Old Testament. Uh, the New Testament books have not been written yet. So Paul is using the Bible as his foundation, and he is learning how to apply the resurrection of Christ through the Old Testament to his present culture. And so he does some things different with the Gentiles, and so he comes to the council in Jerusalem and says, hey, help me out here, you know, uh, how, how should we do that? How, how, should we, how should we live? And so he gets some clarity about how you apply the Bible to life in this situation in chapter 15, all right? Now, at the end of chapter 15, and this is the third thing that I think is, is important to understand before we look at Timothy getting called and jumping on board is this. So at the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas, who have been traveling buddies, they're getting ready to leave, and Barnabas, the son of consolation, uh, says, okay, let's, let's get ready to go. We got Mark here, and, and Paul is like, oh, wait a minute. I, I'm not going with Mark. The last time we left, we, we were halfway finished, and he went home. I'm not going. I'm not going to take that kid. And so everybody knows the story. Uh, they went their separate ways. Um, Barnabas did take Mark. And you all know that later on, Mark was restored to Paul. So there's, there's no problem with the vision there. It was just Paul was like, this kid's not got what I need and what I'm going to do. He jumps, he jumps ship. You take him with you. I'll take Silas. And Silas does stick with him for the rest of his ministry. And so Paul shows up. You know the kind of guy he is. He's a, he's a, he's a no-nonsense, let's get this thing on the road. And he hits town. And let's read. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. There's a disciple here named Timothy. Good to have you tonight, Tim. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So what are we looking for? We're looking for anything that will help us figure out how we're going to identify somebody that will go with a team and plant a church, all right? So I've pulled three things out of this account that I think will be helpful to us in the way uh, that, that this might happen. 
So the first thing is, in verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 1, the leaders would talk to the people and ask them to seek out among them worthy men. And so I think the first place that you begin to look for where leadership will come from is people who have a reputation among the people of being worthy. Deuteronomy 1, Moses is reflecting back when he said, How can I bear myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. You remember over in the book of Acts, chapter 6, remember they were getting so busy taking care of all of the menial things that they couldn't pray and study. And so what do they tell the people? Brothers, verse 3, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. You all. You all decide who's going to do this. And we'll pray over them, and we'll let them do it. So that's the first thing. I think leadership should be recognized among the people before they're presented for leadership. It's their life lived that lifts them up and says, hey, this guy has got it going on. So that's the first thing. Remember I said, this is going to be for everybody? Now I have put the burden on you. Kyle, who is that person? Who, who, who is the person that, that uh, God is lifting up? Tell me, come on. We're getting ready to ordain him and send him. Quick, quick, quick. Come on, come on. Cindy, who is it? Victor, who is it? Come on, come on, we got, we, got, we got to do this. Come on, let's, get, let, let's make it happen. I want you to feel that burden. I want you to feel that sense of, hey, we need to know the young men among us, and we need to be paying attention and praying for that and believing for God to do it, and we as a group of people need to have a sense of who that is. I believe it's more than one person. But it's up to you to figure that out. All right, here's the second thing that I think is, is significant. Paul, verse 3, wanted Timothy to accompany him. That's the second thing. The people said, man, this is a great guy. And they, the Bible says that they gave testimony to his life. That word is, is like, uh, testimony. They gave testimony about uh, how, how wonderful Timothy is. But it says that Paul wanted him to accompany him. So I think that's the other thing that happens. The leadership of the church also sees it and says, man, I want that guy to be the one that we divest ourselves to and have to start all over again because we give him the best and send him out. 
Now, I don't know what it was that, that uh, Paul saw in him, um, but he wanted him. And so that's the other side. Leadership has a responsibility to figure out in this, do we want to work with this guy? So that's more on, on uh, Tom and Kent uh, and Matt and, and Bill uh, to be discerning from the other side. So you got those two things going on, okay? And I think it's important, the old traditional um, way of getting into ministry was you're praying alone and God comes and speaks to you. Uh, you, see a, you, know, you see a GP in the sky and, 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 and most guys think that says go preach, uh, but really it meant go pray. Um, and... Um, over 50% of the people who start out pastoring churches don't last very long. And what that means is there's something wrong in the process. And I think when the process includes the people around you that live in community, the reason most churches can't do this is they don't live in close enough community to be able to say, yeah, this guy, I'll, you know, I'll put my money on him. But we do, and we know each other. And, and, and we can have those conversations. But the idea that you have to hear God say, I'm calling you to be a pastor. You know, the word pastor is only used once in the New Testament. <laughs> uh, you know? And, and most of the people that do what I'm doing, uh, what Bill's doing, what Chad's doing, it, they were just guys that got ordained as elders and just did it more than everybody else. You don't see them talking about pastors. You see them talking about elders. And so it's this guy who has grown in wisdom and the word and ability. Here's how my calling worked. Uh, I, was, I was attending a church, and, and one, 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 I think it was a, a night service, the pastor, Bob Rogers, came. I'd, I'd been going there for about 12 weeks. Bob Rogers comes, and he kneels down next to me in the altar and says, Bill, I want you to come help me build this church. That was my call. <laughs> and so I, I started. I, I went with Bob. Everything Bob asked me to do, I did it. And uh, after maybe two years, I was the associate pastor. And then after that, I realized, you know, forget college. This is what I'm going to do. And that's why I'm here today. I can't tell you that God called me to be a pastor. But I can tell you God called me to be a son and to run hard after him. And in that run, I was captured by some people that would walk with me and a pastor who would call me out and put me in a place to begin to help building the church. I think it's important for us to not think that our young men have to hear the audible voice of God before they ever get released in, in ministry in a way that, that, uh, that they're cared for by the church rather than vocationally working as an engineer or accountant or something else.
Now, Brenda and I, we were talking about this, and she said, yeah, but doesn't it say that he, was, he had this gift from the presbyters praying over him? Let me read those verses that she was thinking about. 1 Timothy 4.14, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Here's my personal belief, that after Paul was there in Lystra, and, and, and again, nobody can tell you for sure how this happened. But my guess, from the way the scriptures lay it out, is that Paul comes in, he sees the guy, and he says, yes, I would like for him to go with me. All of the people give testimony to his ability, and then the elders come around him, and they pray over him and anoint him, and in this prayer, there's this impartation of gifting and ability and sending by those presbyters, and then he leaves and goes with Paul. So getting in is one thing. The anointing and the, the power and the presence, it comes in many ways. And I think at ordination, oftentimes, there is an impartation of gifting um, that deepens what's already there. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It's not that God called him to be a pastor and Paul said, amen. It's whatever he was doing, Paul laid his hands on him and he got some kind of gift. And so we need to believe that for more than just new pastors, new elders, we need to believe that the, the eldership of the church can call to life giftings uh, in one another. I'm losing you. Let me keep going. The third thing, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. When you read Paul's pedigree in chapter 3 of Philippians, he is a Jew of Jews. He is of the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. You know, and he goes through everything. If anybody was a Jew, I was a Jew. This kid had a Jewish mother who had become a Christian and a father who was a Gentile. Those details are there for a reason. Paul had just come from a council. And it was a council that had explained how we take this gospel and we apply it in a Gentile world. And he comes along and here's this perfect mongrel. His mama isn't really a good Jew. <laughs> She's become a Christian. And her father's a Gentile. And he was never even circumcised. Paul took care of that. You know, Paul, Paul would have said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. At age 20, Timothy would have said, and I was circumcised on the 7,321st day. Ouch. 
And so what they were going to do, and it's, it's important that you understand what's going on at this point in church history, because I think we're in a very similar time. The Bible, get this straight, the Bible that they read was the Old Testament, period, end of discussion. And so all the people of God, all of the disciples, they were figuring out, okay, given the word of God and the coming of Christ, how should that be lived out? How should we live, how, how do we live that out? And they were getting it figured out. And then Paul, as he would go to new cultures, sometimes there would be new challenges about the culture, and they would have to figure out how the Bible applies there. And so they were literally going into places where the culture was contrary to the kingdom of God, and they were describing to them how God would have them live. Do you all remember in, in 2 Kings when uh, the the tabernacle or the temple had fallen into disrepair and they were repairing it and then somebody finds something you remember what they found they found the, they found the the scrolls they found the bible they found the word of the lord and then remember what josiah does he rips his clothes and says oh my goodness here's the bible that tells us how to live we're not living that way and then they begin to read it, and they begin to change the way their culture lives. I think Timothy, because of, of his background, was the perfect guy to go with Paul and to break through a lot of the, the, the bigotry and the, 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 what would have been racism back then and to say, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek there's the word of God, and this is the way we should live. And so I think those three things are very important. As, as we move ahead, and we're looking for God to raise up young men to be leaders in church planting, number one, they've got to have a good report from the body. You've got to be known, and you've got to be in relationship. Number two, they need to relate well to the leadership and they need to be appealing as candidates. But number three, and I think this is important, it goes back to some of the bottom line teachings that we give in Mars Hill. You have got to believe that you're born for such a time as this. You've got to embrace what Esther had to embrace God is going to bring deliverance. And he's put me here to do it. But if he doesn't, if I don't respond, he'll do it through somebody else. We have got to cultivate that kind of understanding of who we are and where we are in history. We are at the right place at the right time to be plucked out, to risk being stoned, to risk being circumcised when we're 20 years old, to leave home and go out and strengthen the churches of the living God. Hallelujah. So I, I wonder what Paul saw 
in Timothy. Here's some things that, that we know about Timothy from what Paul says to him later on. The first thing that, that, that really jumps out at me, it, oh, Paul, fine. He, he doesn't take Mark because Mark what? He jumps ship. Well, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Just about every commentary will we'll say that Timothy probably was timid. That, that, that Paul had to encourage him, don't be fearful. 1 Corinthians 16.10, Paul writes to the Corinthians, Timothy's going to show up and he says this, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord. I don't think Timothy was like Paul. He certainly didn't have the pedigree, and he seems to have been a little weakly. Another place, everybody's pretty aware of this. He says, look, Timothy, you know, you've got all these ailments. You need to, you need to quit drinking the water in those places where you're going to and take a little wine for your stomach. Now, I'm not getting off on alcohol, but it seems as though Timothy was not drinking wine because Paul tells him, you got to quit drinking the water and drink a little bit of wine for your stomach's sake. So I don't know if Timothy had taken a, a Nazarite vow or whatever it was. But the one thing we do know from this is that he had stomach problems. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Paul wanted him to go with him. A little bit timid, maybe a little bit sickly, who knows. But he was well spoken of by everybody. And I think there's a couple of things that Paul saw. And I think this is the foundation of what, what uh, prepared him to be one who would be chosen to rise up and lead a team. 2 Timothy 1.5 I am reminded of your sincere faith. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I think he saw faith in that guy. Shoot, <laughs> if he got on the boat and left with Paul, he had faith. A faith that says... Where God calls, I will go. A faith that says, uh, I see the purposes of God, and regardless of what it costs me or what it does to me, I am going to embrace what the Word of God is calling me to do. So I think he saw faith. Faith not, I believe in Jesus, but faith, Jesus is the Lord and I demonstrate my faith by embracing life as he has called me to live it. So I think that's the first thing that he saw in Timothy. This kid lives it radically. The second one has two parts. It's, it's over in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. And uh, I'm not going to preach real well, so you're going to have to listen real well, okay? I, I, just, I just got back from a conference. Uh, the hottest speakers 
in America put on a conference, The Art of Teaching. And uh, my son-in-law, Dan Hamill, uh, and some other pastors of large churches up in Indianapolis decided to go. One dropped out, so they invited me to go along. So I have been to a conference on the art of teaching with some of the best speakers in America. I think one of the things they said that I came away with was, it was about the fourth session that I'd gone to, and I'm not going to give names, but basically he got up and he said, but now you've got to realize this is not for most of you all. You're never going to be able to preach as well as, and they mentioned the other speakers, intimating themselves. You know, you're giving yourself to pastoring those other things. You're never going to be able uh, to rise to the level of of teaching like we do. So I'm like, praise the Lord. I was starting to feel convicted, and, and I was going to start working on my sermons more, but... Hallelujah. I'm in the 95%. Which means you all have got to be excellent listeners. So listen real close, okay? But as for you, this is 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. This is another thing that, that, that Paul saw in Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed Knowing from whom you learned it, okay? This isn't when he first met him, but now Timothy is back in Ephesus doing the thing that he needed to do. Paul's trained him up. He's left him. He becomes the bishop of Ephesus and dies at age 94 in Ephesus. But Paul's writing him, and he says, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So Paul had walked with the apostles. He'd gotten revelation from God, and they had figured out what church should look like. They had figured out how life should be lived as a Christian in light of what Christ had done. And he said, Timothy, you have got to remember that and remember who you learned it from. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy, don't back off of the applications that we have come to understand as we have sought God. But even more than that, remember the sacred scriptures that you were taught from a child that are able to make you wise unto salvation, unto deliverance, unto unto freedom from living a life in darkness and, and a life lived in love and joy and peace in the kingdom of God. Remember the scriptures. So two things. I think Paul saw in him a kid who was willing to live out what he learned. But more than that, he saw a kid who was steeped in Scripture, who was deep in the Word of God. 
And Paul never backs off in this letter or any place else. Almost the whole letter has a refrain through it to the Word of God, to the Scriptures, to the Bible, to the teaching. Oh, 21 times as you go through First and Second Timothy, it, it, it actually literally says those things, but the rest of it is permanent. It is through the Word of God. We have got to interpret the Word of God, not the culture. What does the Word of God tell us? And then let's bring that to our culture. And over and over and over. At this point, I'm halfway through, and I had five other just verses I wanted to pull out, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'll send you those verses. The point here is, if you are going to be called up into eldership or anything else, you've got to be steeped in the Word of God. You can't come to a Bible study and fake it. You can't think you should do better. You've got to change your life. You've got to quit watching football. You just don't have time to watch football. You got your choice. You got to quit watching so much TV. Whatever your pastime is, you got to turn that in and you got to wear your Bible out. It's that simple. Somebody will do that. And everybody will begin to say, man, that guy's getting deep in the Word. He can't tell you the score from Monday night, but you know what? He can quote the Bible. And every time we're talking, he brings the truth of the kingdom of God to it. We sit around and we rap about all the, the, the current events. He speaks to the situation out of the word of God. This is who Timothy was. He was steeped in the word of God. He had given himself to the lessons that his mother had given him, that her mother had given to her. And so those, those things have got to happen in some of our young men. And I think the one that we're most desperate for is for some of our young men to really become students of the word and not enjoyers of the culture. Boom. Did I say that? Am I okay, Brenda? Am I okay? You sure? All right. Should I do those other verses? No. All right. <laughs> I told her when I get to this point, I was going to ask her. She said, don't put that pressure on me. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're going to plant a church. We planted two. We got the people. Everybody who was not here when we sent Ben Hughes out to plant, would you stand up? You weren't in this congregation when we sent Ben Hughes out to plant. Stand up, Teresa. Stand up, Bill. Y'all weren't here. Seasons, y'all weren't here. Okay, I want y'all to come down front, and you're going to choose one of you, and we're just going to send you as a plant. <laughs> Look at that. That's enough people. You can, you can sit down. That replaces the people we lost, and there's other people that aren't here tonight. Uh, the McCurries aren't here. Uh, Cat and Woody aren't here. Um, huh? What? Uh, Brian? Huh? Melanie, and I'll tell you what, walk down that hall, and you're going to see about 15 other people who weren't here when, we, when Ben left. 
It's been five years. So everywhere back there under five years old, God has added us. Hallelujah. So we're going to do it. We're going to do it again and again and again. But guys, I think it's got to start with some of you deciding, I'm going to quit playing around with the Bible. And I'm going to become steeped in the Word of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave it between you and God. We're moving ahead. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this about the next church plant. Uh, whoever does it, uh, we believe that Bill is going to go with that plant. Is that right? And, uh, and he is going to be uh, an older pastor in that plant with you and let you take the lead, uh, but he's going to walk with you. And so my prayer coming tonight is that God would begin to stir it up in some hearts uh, that I, I want to be that man. I want to study to show myself approved unto God, to give myself to excellence in the word. That's one of the verses that I was going to go to so that I don't need to be ashamed, but I can rightly present the pure word of God. If nothing else happened tonight, but a few of our guys got motivated and said, I'm going to change my lifestyle and I'm going to do whatever it takes to give myself to the word of God, I would be just thrilled. And John Tyson and John Mark Gomer and all those great preachers, they can keep preaching. That's fine. <laughs> I'll just keep saying it to good listeners and, and, and you all can, can make it happen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Do you like what we're doing? Are we blessed? You all, come on up. Yeah, you all are church planters. We are a church planting team. We've done it twice, and we're going to continue to do it. Here's your job. Young men, study the word of God. Everybody else, know our young men. Strengthen them. Encourage them. Be with them. Hallelujah. You know, one of... Uh, uh, an amazing minister is with us tonight. Uh, Tim has been in uh, has been in uh, the Dominican Republic uh, for how many years? Twenty eight years. years. And what he does, he strengthens and works with pastors all over the place. I'm going to ask Tim if he'd come up. And uh, this is not ordination. <laughs> And this is not calling. Uh, but, Tim, if there's any of these guys you like and you want to take with you, I'm t- t- just, just go ahead. But, but any of you guys who would like to come up and uh, have Tim pray for you, uh, just to, to, to impart to you uh, that the fervor that, that, he, that he ministers with and the practicality with which he applies and sees the situation and turns it into something that honors God. If you'd like uh, to be prayed for by Tim, come on down while we're worshiping. But we're going to stand up. We're going to worship. And uh, Tom, why don't you come on down and we'll pray for people. And uh, Matt, you come on down. We'll pray. Bill, come on down if you want. But uh, you guys, anybody who wants to be prayed for, hey, women too. Yeah, women plant churches. Like Phoebe, come on down. Uh, You can be secures, whatever that is in the King James. All right. So anybody anybody who wants just to have hands laid on you uh, to be stirred up in, in, in the things of God. 
uh, you can come on down. Tim will lead us. Just make a line, and we'll do it like the old Pentecostals, you know. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Hallelujah. So it's just going to be a quick prayer, but let's everybody else, let's stand, and let's worship God, and um, uh, let's, uh, let's go for it.